On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no! She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Kevin Woodley. Kevin, what's going on, man? Not much. It's a beautiful summer here in Vancouver. Looking forward to getting through this next week or so, uh, free agency, and then maybe enjoy a little bit of this gorgeous weather we're having a little more often. It's just nice to be able to do an uh, in-person show with you after the past year and a half that we've gone through. The Zoom, the Zoom doesn't capture it as well. I, I need to see your reactions here in the flesh when I give you my crazy goalie opinions, so... Well, as long as you don't, you know, as long, we're not filming. So that's the, that's, that's the upside. I can have those facial expressions and then deny later if it, if it, it implies badly that or that I don't like a guy. I can just say I didn't make that face. <laughs> the, the Zoom's a little tougher to do that on. I, have to, I always have to be careful, especially as uh, uh, unkept as I look these days. Ask if I'm on the Zoom once. Hey, are we using the uh, video too on this one, guys? So maybe tie this hair back. It's a little unruly. I like it. All right, so here's the plan for today. Um, we're going to take a spin on the offseason goalie carousel here because I think we'd both agree there's a number of interesting goalie options and, and it's a very um, imperfect goalie class in terms of who's available, depending on which way you want to look at it or what you want to value. There's some really interesting options. There's also some ones that are potential red flags. There's also a number of teams that I think are definitely looking to make changes, hopefully in their case, looking to upgrade. Uh, we'll see whether that actually manifests, but it's a match made in heaven for us from a content perspective is trying to sort of line it up and figure out where they're going to go and what they're going to do because it, it really is like it's kind of like a like a blind, blind date sort of where it's like you're just putting a goalie and a team together and hoping it fits. Well, I, I think you undersold it. I think this could be the greatest game of musical chairs. I know a lot of people said this last year. Yeah. The greatest game of musical chairs in terms of goaltending that we've ever seen. And I think it started already. Uh, I remember last year actually, and actually the honestly... The reason I looked it up the first time was after Edmonton re-signed Mike Smith and they went short term on him. And one of the things I said, I have a weekly radio hit in Edmonton. And when I kind of was trying to justify it, one of the things I said was like, listen, look at the class next year. Like there are even more free agents. Everybody's going short term. Like this almost could become an annual thing. I think when you add the expansion draft, it made it you know even greater movement. Um, but like this could be unprecedented by the time we get to the end of it in terms of goalie movement. We've already seen it, both the expansion draft and Alex Nedeljkovic getting moved already. So um, as this increases, as teams go shorter term on goaltenders, um, which at the risk of my goalie union card, I would always advise, like term would be the one thing if I was a GM that I would avoid. Uh, I think that the importance of being able to match that goaltender to the environment he's going to play in will just only increase year after year. Okay, well, this is, that's, a good, that's a good starting point for us. Let's talk about the Hurricanes because uh, I think it's a natural 
uh, starting spot for us. They've already made some choices in that. They traded away Alex Nedeljkovic, somewhat surprising. I think what they do next, especially because they don't have any NHL goalies under contract at the moment, uh, is going to have a real domino effect on the market, depending on which way they go with it. Uh, first on the Nedeljkovic thing, I thought it was surprising in the sense that um, I thought the acquisition cost for the for the Red Wings made it a no-brainer for them. Normally, in a vacuum, I'd say a team that's in the sort of stage of the organizational life cycle that the Red Wings are in, investing any assets in a goalie is kind of dumb because it's going to be years before they have a good NHL team. And Adelkovic himself is turning 26 with a minimal track record, so he doesn't necessarily you know, scream goalie of the future regardless of his results last year. But for a third and a UFA goalie they weren't going to retain, I thought it was a no-brainer for them. And that's, that's, that was the surprising part for me, just seeing how little Carolina was able to get back in return for a goalie that at least showed like legitimate signs of promise last season. Yeah, and I think for Detroit, it makes a ton of sense because if you looked at their sort of prospect depth chart, it was pretty thin. And then when you add Kosa as the selection at 15th overall uh, in, in this draft right after making that move, like there's your bridge, right? There's your gap to your next guy. There's you know, there's Steve Eiserman in a lot of ways taking a swing at his, you know, his Andre Vasilevsky with the Detroit Red Wings and Sebastian Kosa and filling a gap in the short term with a guy who, you know, can probably bridge you to there and, and has some upside. Like, to me, the thing with Ned, like you can look at numbers, like his adjusted, like what did he, I think his 932 led the league, right? 931 led the league. I'm going to give you some numbers right now, just while you brought it up. 931 first. 9.45 at 5.15, only behind UC Soros, who had just an insane 25-game bender. Um, plus 12.9, goal save above expected, according to Evolving Hockey. Only Marc-Andre Fleury and Connor Hellebuck, the two most recent Vesna Trophy winners, were better. An 8.48 high-danger save percentage, according to Natural Statric. Only Philip Grubauer, Igor Shosturkin, and Andre Vasilevsky were better. What does what does CSA have them have them at? Yeah, I mean, uh, and and just for I'm I'm assuming our audience knows Clearsight Analytics. Right. Uh, get a look under the hood, thanks to Stephen Veliket and his company, and um, they're not quite as as big as that. Obviously, the 932. I think I think everybody generally accepts that that's a pretty goalie friendly environment yes. in Carolina. Um, the 932, you know, grades out as the best in their 931 best in the NHL when you adjust it for the shot quality he faced he's like he's still positive like yeah. significant positive he's plus one percent um but that you know sort that amongst the league and it's 18th matter of fact it's just ahead of Jonathan Bernier who mm. is plus 0.9 behind a much worse defensive team and when you look at expected save percentage for Ned in Carolina uh, it was 906 which is one of the highest totals um, or the highest sort of the easiest environment, roughly speaking, um, amongst any goalie that had seen 200 plus shots. Now, the interesting thing to me there is behind the same team, Peter Morazic's expected save percentage was almost 30 points lower. And this is this is sort of a conversation we can spin off this later. We've seen this before. We saw it with Shesterkin and Lundqvist. We saw it last year with Tristan Jari having a really high expected and Matt Murray having a much lower one. Again, behind the same team. So you start scratching your head like, why is this guy's environment so much easier than his playing partner? It's the same team. Right. And sometimes that can be matchups, what teams, what starts you're getting, especially the backup, maybe getting some easier or sometimes harder starts on back-to-back nights. Um, you know, th- there are a lot of different factors that sometimes somebody's hurt 
tougher part of the schedule. Somebody's hurt in front of you and the defense is worse. Like all these things can play into it. But the one factor that I think amongst those names that I just mentioned is the ability to, to sort of handle the puck and mm-hmm. move the puck. Like Lundqvist never even got out of his net. Shister can handle it like a defenseman. Uh, Pierre Morazic doesn't really do much other than stop it and even sometimes doesn't do that. Right. Ned can handle it. Um, you know, similar with Jari and Murray, totally different goalies. And so I do think that's one thing as we look at defensive environments. I think a goaltender's ability to handle and move the puck, and I'm not talking home run breakout passes that right. make the highlight tape, just set it up and put his defensemen clean little overs, clean little ups to get them out of their own end quicker can make their own life that much easier. So as much as like, it's not Ned's fault that he had a really high expected save percentage. In fact, like that's what he was dealt. But in fact, some of his skills with the puck may have helped create an easier environment for him. So um, listen, it's uh, at the same time, Jonathan Bernier is right there with him, but it's apples to oranges. Like he, his, his expected was so much lower in right. Detroit, which pat matches the eye test. So, um, you know, so the numbers aren't quite as big. Like I think the goals saved by clear sight are closer to five. Uh, just under five. And again, that grades out 17th in the NHL. So you're getting a top half of the league starter. You, right. you may not be getting the best save percentage in the NHL in Detroit, but you're getting a top half of the league starter for a third round pick. Well, and, and that's, that's the issue that I have with this trade because we know the Hurricanes draw a hard line in terms of, I think it was Elliot Friedman talking on the 31 Thoughts podcast where he was like, Tom Dundon, their owner puts a value on everyone and he won't go like a penny over if he sees, if he thinks it's not worth it. Right. And with, with, um, Nadelkovic, like it's pretty clear that they were worried about the potential implications of an arbitration case, whether it could go above 4 million per season. And that's fine. What he wound up settling on and what he reportedly was asking for, he was asking for 3.5. He wound up getting 3 million for two years with Detroit that pays him as like the 25th highest paid goalie, not accounting for the goalies that are going to get signed in free agency for more than that. So it'll probably be like the 30th or so. And you're telling me he's the 18th best last season for a guy who's still conceivably has a chance to, to grow and improve or at least maintain this based on his age. That's where I have an issue with it. It's, it seems like it's pretty cheap on their end. Yeah, and, and, and has shown signs of that growth, even within last year, like took a big step last year. And, you know, some of this is experience. Some of this is getting it comfortable is in the league. Too. Yeah, but some of it is like, I know he made like a big change in his post play. Because um, I spent an hour with him sort of going over pro reads, what we call it in goal, where we actually have NHL goalies sit down and do video with us. And um, the difference in his post play. And, and that may seem like such a small thing to people. But it's funny, I was talking with Jason LaBarbera for a different segment, a pro drill segment, where there was a drill progression that was all about, you know, net play. And I said, like, you know, a lot of people on the outside wonder why goalies spend up so much time working on how to get in and out of their posts. And he's like, man, since I came back to the NHL, I cannot believe how much offense is generated or attempts sort of where, where it's plays from below the goal line and up to try and pull that defense because everybody plays sort of below the dots as a defense anyway. So try and then get it back up top and spread them out. And so if you can move in and out of your post cleanly, it's a huge difference. Nadelkovic makes some changes in how he does that improves his post play this year. And I think that's a contributing factor. So is that the difference in him being, you know, good to what we saw this year or not, not great to, to very good this year, not on its own, but it's a sign of a goalie that's still willing to adjust and learn and, and, and improve. And so I'm with you. I, it's, it's sort of a tough one to look at and justify from a Carolina perspective. And I guess at the end of the day, uh, what they do next will determine how we grade that out. Well, 
And that, okay, this is why you're a broadcasting professional here. This is a great segue for us because I think what they do next is fascinating. Everyone I talk to during the draft process, uh, and, and Carolina notably was taking a lot of timeouts, slowing down the draft, uh, trading down as much as they could, getting volume, which which ties into their organizational philosophy of getting... Did you notice how many goalies were picked? Kicks of the can, yes. Yeah. But what I what people were speculating, no one obviously with the Hurricanes, but... Uh, people were speculating that maybe part of the rationale for acquiring those picks was hoping to potentially get someone to retain some salary for them on a more expensive goalie that they could go out and add and sort of help facilitate that. And naturally, my mind went to John Gibson, who is the most expensive goalie they could probably go out and get feasibly. Um, and, and I want to have a Gibson talk with you here because it's weird how many evaluators you speak with. That it's such a polarizing he is. Thing, because the past two years, the results have not been there. He has a 902 and a 904 save percentage, I think. Uh, by the public models, a negative goal save above expected in both those years. Now, I couldn't help but notice that he started each of those two years incredibly strongly with excellent performances, looked great. And then as the season went along and the team was going nowhere and it was a very, very horrible defensive environment to be playing behind, his performance started to slip and he started having stinkers. And... Without, Mike, without like psychoanalyzing him here, I imagine part of it has to do with the fact that you look around and realize, wow, this is a dreadful situation and we're going nowhere. And it's really, really tough to stay motivated during that, during that scenario. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree there. Um, he actually netted out slightly positive in, in goals against differential, just so you know, like not oh, much, okay. but plus one uh, this season. So, um, which is pretty incredible when you consider the environment and, and interesting to, you know, an interesting point there is I think we all look at the types of chances they give up as the environment, but there are other factors Yeah, like they don't score. Right. Like the goalies in Anaheim, whether it was Gibson or Miller for the past couple of years, like if you're not perfect, you don't like like more than one, you're probably not winning. And that can absolutely wear you out mentally uh, as much as being busy. Like I, this dates back to conversations I used to have with goaltenders when Mika Kippersoff was dominant. Um, what would you rather have? A team that's a little looser defensively but you know can score because obviously the flames under Daryl Sutter back then were super stingy, but right. they didn't score a bunch. Or would you rather have a team that's so good defensively, but you know that, you know, two is too many and every goalie, every goalie I talked to at the time, give me the team that can score. Like I will see a bunch of, I don't mind being busy and give me the team that can score and they don't have that in Anaheim. And I think so as much as we focus on the defensive environment, like I said, John outperformed it despite all those, those blips and all those sort of tough games down the stretch. Right. He still outperformed it, but I just think the mental wear and tear and this, I'll tie this back to Ned really quick because two things that you had in him, one, that contract he signed for was only two years. Right. So what have we done? We've avoided term Two. There is a difficult part of playing behind Carolina now and playing behind very good defensive teams that they have to figure out as they're looking for a goalie. Not everyone. Just as it's hard as a goaltender mentally to play behind a team you know is not going to score for you. Like that whole mindset, like two's too many, is tough. Not everyone plays well behind a team that's good defensively. Not everyone is good when they're not busy. Right. And Ned showed he could do that. 
And so you gave up on a guy that looked like he could play, in part because he got out and handled the puck and stayed engaged, behind a team that not like... They may be, he may have had the highest expected save percentage, which is an indication of an easy environment. Like I said, I think he played a role in that. Not every guy succeeds in that. Not every guy is good with lower workload and lower shots. And to tie this back to Gibson, so I don't know after all these years, like I think there's so many questions about him because of the crazy environment he's been in. Like, can he handle not being busy after all these years of being busy? I think he'd be okay with it. The other question. Is Carolina ever spending what his cap is in, on goaltending? Because I think part of the decision-making there isn't just the owner saying we're not spending above what I... Part of it is the valuation of what goaltending is worth yep. is this is not how you win or how you need to necessarily um, spend your money in order to succeed. Give me a good defense and we'll plug a goalie in. We don't need to spend big on a goaltender. So I'm not sure I see that as a fit because of that mentality. Yeah. Um, and also because I think they were, they were shopping around for some, some sort of experienced, but definitely lower price point goaltenders of the past little while. Well, one note that I will make about from just what I, what I've sort of seen on initial, uh, glances of proprietary goalie data, um, I think we're still uh, not the extremes of certain types of shots, I think aren't still being properly captured, especially like I've seen some of the expected goal rates for like breakaways and like two on ones. And I don't think they're nearly as high as they probably should be. And well, it, I guess it all depends on what type, like, like, I mean, when I look at clear sight, breakaways are split into right. several different types. Yep. And a two on one isn't, it's a to, a two on run one is a completely different expected. Yeah. If the guy shoots it versus whether right. he manages yep. to succeed in making that lateral pass. And I've seen a lot of other proprietary stuff where for all the extra information that's in there, um, lateral plays aren't accounted for and it's all about area. And I've seen a lot of other stuff that ends with a shot in the slot and is counted as high danger because of it. And, Frankly, when I when I look at the same chance on clear sight, it's l- actually a low danger because there because there hasn't been any lateral movement. Yeah, the goalie was set for it. Yeah, and and you know even some of the best, and I know Steve uh, has sort of made this point elsewhere. Like he he really broke down Matthews, who is a guy we would think anecdotally an eye test with that release and the way he's able to sort of you know change the angle on goaltenders, pull it into his feet, and shoot rockets on clean looks you know, from what are traditionally quote unquote high danger areas, we would expect him to have a ton of success. And when he looked at it, the shots where it was clean looks, you know, Matthews, I can't, I don't, he, he did a better job of accounting for this uh, than I will. Cause I, I keep trying to remember the story he told, but it, it just, it wasn't anywhere near what any of us would expect. But so that's why the other factors matter to mm. me. Yep. They matter. And I say that as a, as a guy who's talked to goaltenders and has an understanding of what makes their life difficult and a lot of those things I just don't see measured. Lateral plays that cross the slot line, yes. Traffic. Traffic doesn't get measured even by a lot of proprietary models. Sight lines are important, hugely important, right. and yet it's ignored in most of it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair point, and I agree. My, my, my point was I, I feel like the goalies that are like in truly catastrophic defensive environments, like we capture the fact that it's a you know, we, we adjust for it and we could try to contextualize it. I think we're not even going oh. far enough in terms of like, they probably are better than they look. It's, the, Edmont- by the, uh, it's the Edmonton example, yeah, right? Like how many, like it's, it's the Edmonton example. 
eventually, if it's that bad, yeah, you have to start cheating, right? Yeah. It's the it's the for all the years, all the goalies that the Oilers used to spit out, right? Like if if the defensive system says, and this is a super simplistic example, but we'll use it because it's an easy one for people to relate to. If on that two on one, the system says, or it doesn't even have to be a two on one, any type of play where the system says the defenseman has this guy in this position on my back door, yep. And the first nine shot at pass attempts, six get through. As a goaltender, you and maybe nine and six is not a fair example. Maybe we're talking about 30 or 40 and, you know, 20 get through. Right. Pretty hard to trust that guy to take away it the next time. And as soon as you lean in this league, as soon as you start hedging or cheating and a guy's got an open look, that's when you're dead. Like that's when they're picking that short side because they can, they've got their head up and they're looking and they're looking for that cheat. They're looking for that early push. They're looking for that lean. You can't cheat in this league. And yet behind certain teams, if you don't, you don't have a chance because that puck's getting through. Right. Well, especially with how good the shooters are getting. Like, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but they're in the playoffs. Not that it's necessarily a new thing, but there was a lot of, especially as the playoffs went along and they like the quality improved, there was a lot of shooters trying to pick corners from like really tough like from the goal line angles basically and just trying to like bank it in off the goalie's head and off the shoulder and 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 that's that's exactly what you're saying in terms of like hoping that everything that had led up to that sequence will have the goalie leaning a little bit and you can actually execute that shot yeah and i mean and and so two things are improving with shooters one their understanding of goaltenders and so there are certain tendencies of of goaltenders and not all of them and um you know the way they play their posts and there are there is a give and take to that decision. Uh, I think a lot of people misunderstand how difficult we talked about the LaBarber example, but how many plays are generated from those angles. I think people misunderstand how tough it is to seal that short side without giving away um, the ice. If that puck is thrown into feet in front of you or deflecting off things or giving away your ability to move off of that post, there's a give and take and you're going to give up certain holes. Shooters know that now, like the pre-scouts, by the time you get deep in the playoffs, every goalie coach on the other team is showing you not only where that hole is when he drops into what we would call his, his RVH or reverse VH, but at what point as you pull that puck, does he tend to drop? So you can look for it. Like at what point on the ice in terms of proximity or in terms of angle above the goal line, when is he going to drop? And then we see that spot. So I think some of that picks up in the playoffs because those pre-scouts, one of 82, you know, it's Vancouver tonight, Calgary tomorrow night, and Edmonton two nights from now. I'm not sure shooters pay that close of attention, but best of seven, you have their full attention on those pre-scouts and you can break down those tendencies. And I, the other thing I think with shooters we're seeing is, and I've been at the camps, like not only are they going to school on the goalies and there's a camp up in Kelowna that will be up, up here in a couple of weeks uh, called net 360, which is, um, well, I don't know what'll happen with pandemic and border openings and stuff, but typically we, there's like, you know, like anywhere up to 10 NHL goalies, but also the shooters are all NHL guys. And there's a lot of back and forth on where the exposure is and, and where that space is. There's also shooting coaches now. And we've seen this with Daryl Belfry as sort of the lead example with Austin Matthews, like deception. Yep. Like there's a whole generation of goaltenders that are going based on what they anticipate and read a release is going, where it's going based on early information. Mm-hmm. And now increasingly so an up and coming generation of shooters that are being taught how to show that exact thing that makes the goalie think it's going this way. And then at the last second, change it to make it go that way. So it's, it's getting harder and harder to 
be a goalie because for the first time in 20 years, we're not the only ones that are actually going to work on our skill set in the summer, right? It always used to be players were stronger, faster, um, bigger, stronger, faster in the summers. Now they're actually working on their skills, which is something goalies have been doing for 20 years now. Right. Yeah, one final note on Gibson. You you alluded to his cap at 6.4 for the next six years, spread out uniformly, uh, 10-team no trade. He did just turn 28. So um, I... I, I I think it's interesting. I think there, I think there's something to uh, to all those rumblings. Um, let's keep moving along and talk about some different situations and different goalies, or maybe tied to the Hurricanes here. But Darcy Kemper, I want to talk to you about him because uh, similarly, a lot of split opinions, not only because of how he sort of ascended in a short time to the defensive environment that he was playing in in Arizona over the past three years. Um, by the public models, still uh, a net positive. I think certainly passed the eye test. I think the issue for me is he played 29 games and 27 games the past two years, and it's been a growing list of lower body injuries for a guy who is enormous. And it makes me think of Ben Bishop. And, and, and when, when that starts to go, it's, it's a massive red flag for me. Now, you're talking about the term. He's an expiring after this season, so... I don't think the acquisition cost is going to be nearly as high as Arizona hopes it'll be. And for that term, if it doesn't work out at the 4.5 million, which Arizona could even retain some of, and it can just basically slide easily onto your cap. I I think it's an interesting, uh, fairly low risk, fairly high reward gamble for whichever team winds up landing Kemper. Yeah. And, and then again, like we, it's great. It is a pretty good defensive environment. It wasn't as good this year as it no, has course, been in years course, past. Yeah. He did net out positive ever so slightly. I mean, you know, 0.1% basically. So just above expected in both sort of save percentage uh, and from a goal differential, sort of half a goal. So he's not hurting you. The question is how much can he help you? And you know, much like his playing partner in Arizona in the past couple of years, is he going to be healthy enough to do it for you? And I do wonder at some point, like, I don't know what the deal is in the desert, but health issue and goaltenders, like I'm wondering if you're a team and you can do the research, if you think you can do things differently or get there, get those goaltenders doing things differently in terms of preparation, if that might make a difference. Right. Um, because the, 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 here's the thing about goaltending. The biggest thing about the job is being able to be available to do the job. Like, You've seen coaches, man, like they just lose it at a goaltender who can't go because of a small tweak or a groin injury or a, like that's that's your number one. And and I think those questions have existed for Auntie Ranta for a long time. And I'm hearing more and more of them asked about Darcy Kemper. So mm. I think you'd have to have a good feel um, for what the issues were. I mean, obviously at the end of the year at the World Championships, no problems, right? Like yeah. he, he was healthy and, and looked good there. So, um, it, and this to me is, see, this to me is when you're trying to figure out the defensive environment thing, you can, there's the general broad picture where the eye test tells us, you know, again, not as much this past year, but for the for most of his time there, it's been an easier, relative to a lot of teams, it's been an easier defensive environment. Um, he's outperformed it still. The questions to me are how granular can we get in terms of where he's excelled at? And I'll give you one quick example. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I wrote this, I, I did the research for a radio hit a couple of weeks ago because there was a lot of talk about Darcy Kemper going to Toronto. And when I looked at Toronto, which had become a very good defensive team, like yep. to me, remember we talked about Ned and being able to play well when you're not busy? Right. Like that's also part of like 
Toronto is now a good defensive team yeah. overall. Yeah, last year they weren't giving much up. Right, and and also their goalies aren't overly busy. And that's where Jack Campbell, despite, you know, you can say whatever about his, uh, where he nets out uh, in terms of his adjusted save percentage, it's actually the, just barely above Darcy Kemper. Um, but his ability to play when he's not busy, like to me, and handle that media and handle that market, like those were all positives that you have to consider. Um, so Kemper coming from a similarly strong defensive environment is like, Hey, that would fit. Right. But when I looked at the types of chances Toronto gave up and I looked at the types of chances that Darcy Kemper was really good at. Um, and again, I don't have my notes in front of me today. So this is, this is an example. Um, I believe it was, there were two types of plays that they gave up at a high, like a lot more of than, than, than relative to the other types that were tough plays. Um, one was broken plays and it wasn't slot. It was broken, broken plays. There were two. I know broken plays was one of them. And Jack had really good numbers against broken plays. Mm -hmm. Darcy doesn't. And so again, broken plays. What, 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 what do you, um, is that like a comment on athleticism reaction? No, 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 no. I'm not making any comments on the type of goaltender. It could be just a matter of choosing like Darcy can at times be a little aggressive. Like it might just be a matter of choosing a different depth. Right. But if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, my, my point from a statistical standpoint was broad applications of what the numbers say do not necessarily apply the same from team to team. And this is where we talked earlier about fitting goalie A into team X. You need to sort of look at it. And the other thing is, Teams change so much in terms of defensive personnel or sometimes defensive systems from year to year. You know, you could be trying to judge a goaltender on, hey, does he is he good at the types of chances we give up? Or hit do his weaknesses match the types of chances we don't give up? Like it's like right. you want them playing to their strengths and weaknesses. My point is that you have to sort of get a little more granular to figure that out. It's not perfect because everything changes. And maybe you look at it and you go, geez, like we're going to make this investment in Darcy Kemper. And one of his biggest struggles happens to be one of the few areas we give up a lot of chances. Maybe we need to rethink this. Part of that equation is let's take a look at all those chances. Let's, let's pull the video. I can push two buttons, pull all the video from ClearSight on what those broken chances look like. And it's like, oh, well, you know, he's out past the top of his, I'm, this is again, theoretical. Yeah. Oh, he's out past the top of his crease. Yeah, and look at how much more conservative Jack Campbell played this year. I don't think, by the way, that Steve uh, Breer, the goalie coach there, gets mm -hmm. enough credit for the technical adjustments and tactical adjustments in Jack's game as well. Like right. He's a quieter goaltender now. Um, but you may look at that as an organization. You've, you've raised this red flag through analytics and then go, well, now let's apply the eye test. And the goalie coach is like, if he's honest... All goalie coaches like to think they can fix everything, so you have to be careful. But if he's honest, he's like, hey, man, like this is a problem for us because I see some issues here that aren't fixable. Or he's like, hey, man, this is a simple depth management issue. He's going to have to play further back in his crease for us because of these types of chances. Again, I don't know what the answers are. Right. But my point is you need to be asking these questions. You can't just look broad picture. I, I know organizations right now that are making decisions – not entirely on, but one of the big parts of their decision is like, oh, does he have experience? Like, can be he be a mentor to our guy? Right. Well, maybe he can, but he's got to also be able to stop the damn puck every once in a while, too. You might want to look into that. <laughs> it's a useful skill for the position. I agree. Sometimes. Um, My beer league team probably would tell you that it doesn't really matter much. As long as I'm <laughs> managing the money and bringing the beer, they don't mind that I don't stop anything. That's the key to longevity in beer league. Yeah. Unlike the NHL, make sure you're the team manager and control the finances. Make sure you're the guy with the beer. Kevin Woodley's got the experience. 
I, I know how, exactly the experience on how to make sure the cooler is full of ice. Um, yeah, Kemper's been linked to Toronto. He's been linked to uh, Colorado. Um, I think he's an interesting fit. Another good defensive team, right? Like that's yes. a defensive environment that has improved significantly in the past couple of years. Yep. Um, I think Edmonton, I was talking to you about this before we went on the air, but I, I, I think Edmonton just from the the neatness of Miko Koskinen making $4.5 million, Darcy Kemper making $4.5 million, flipping those, attaching an asset to make it worth Arizona's while, especially since Arizona literally does not have, if they make that trade, does not have an NHL goalie under contract. And uh, and with the one year left for Koskinen, it's conceivable that get some games out of him, potentially flip him for another cheaper asset down the line, and, and that's just a good piece of business. So I, I wonder if that's a fit. But Kemper does have a lot of question marks and a lot of people wondering how good he really is. Well, so. and, the, and the, the contracts become interesting too because they'll bring up another goalie who's right around the same sort of numbers uh, in terms of contract. Hmm. That's Braden Holtby here in Vancouver, right? right. Like $4.3 million. Like I think his cap hit is 200,000 less than Darcy Kemper at 4.3. Yep. But his actual money at 5.7 is just $200,000 more than Darcy because I think Darcy's deal was a little backloaded too. I think he's due 5.5 this year off the top of my head. So right. again, very similar contracts. Um, problem on the Canucks standpoint, but I mean in terms of shopping around the league. For the Canucks, it makes no sense to bring Darcy Kemper back unless you're just going to flip him because the reason they're lo- looking to move Holpe is they can't afford the contract. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Let's take a quick break here and then we're going to, we're going to keep the conversation going. Let me tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, which is a program created to give everyone the opportunity to take their own podcast to the next level. Whether you've already got your own show and just need a little professional boost to get over the top, or you've listened to this podcast in the past and had a bunch of thoughts and always dreamed of starting your own show, but just didn't know where to begin. Blue Wire Hustle is for you. Here's some of the perks that you're going to get. You're going to receive a personal cover art. You're going to receive Q and A's, available to you with Blue Wire's top podcasters. You're going to get access to our community Discord, and you're going to get an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. Plus, they'll help you get your show out there on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else people listen to our podcasts. You'll get all of that for a flat rate of $15 per month, which is essentially the same price it would cost you just to sign up with any hosting service to begin with without any of those actual perks on top. So if you're ready to join in on the action and do more than just listen to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard with the help of Blue Wire Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so make sure you get your application in today. To do so, go to bwhustle.com slash join. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Recognize employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at custominc.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme? Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. 
Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. All right, let's jump back into it. Um, We've talked about Gibson, we've talked about Kemper. I want to talk about about Vegas' goalies because I, I think they also hold some interesting cards here. So based on the reports today of the Alec Martinez signing for $5 million, they right now have roughly $50 million in cap commitments for next season to their top five forwards and top three defensemen, not including either the two goalies or any of the other pieces like Marsha So, Riley Smith, Braden McNabb, and stuff like that. So they're clearly, like, I think they're literally above the cap now with the team they have, and they, so they're going to make some moves. I'm really curious what the value league-wide is on Flurry because we heard a lot last offseason that they would have to give up at least the first just for someone to take that contract off their hands, right? Or and eat, then or eat money. That was the other part of it. Eat half. And then now he just won the Vesna. He had a nine twenty seven save percentage plus nineteen goal save above expected. A year after having a nine oh four and a minus fourteen goal save above expected. But most importantly, now he's down to just one year left at seven million on the cap hit. And so I'm really curious to see what they do and how they navigate that situation. Because for me, if I was uh, another team and I was looking at that, I would be trying really hard to pry Robin Leonard off of them, who has $5 million per for the next four seasons, and still remarkably just turned 30 years old, which, is, which blew my mind when I looked at it. I was like, is he like 33? And then I looked, nope, he just turned 30. Um, and it was my, so before the season, my Vesna pick was Robin Leonard and wound up being Mark andre Fleury. So I'd, I'd like to think that Vegas goalie as just a, as a big picture I'll concept. Give you, I'm willing to grant you that uh, one. I'd uh, had neither, I had neither on my list. <laughs> um, but so I'm really curious to see how that plays out because, you know, if, if, you're, if you're them, I imagine you'd still, despite the season they just had, prefer to move Flurry just because you have Leonard locked in for the next three seasons, even after this coming one. He's younger, provides a bit more upside, I think. But... I wonder what they could get for either guy and whether it might be more worth their while to potentially move Leonard, considering just how all in they are as a team on a year-to-year basis. Like, There's no organization that thinks less about what's going to happen two years from now than them. And credit to them in that regard because they're just so ruthlessly aggressive that they will, if they think they can improve their cup odds next season by 2%, they're going to explore it. Be damned what happens after that. So there's a couple factors here. One is yeah, I expect them to move a goaltender like every, everyone does. And you said the Alex Martinez cap, it just makes that seemingly more obvious to the rest of the world. Um, I really wasn't sure which one, to be honest with you, uh, in part because we've, we've heard the owner. Uh, I thought it would be Fleury, despite the fact we've heard the owner, you know, Bill Foley, talk about Marc-Andre Fleury finishing his career and how valuable he's been to that franchise and letting him finish there. Now, the other factor here is beyond this season um 
Flowers already indicated a willingness and a desire to stay and actually sign for less and help them win on a lower contract. Like that's kind of, and when you talk about adjusted numbers, like Marc-Andre Fleury was our deserving Vesna trophy winner, like by a fair bit using the clear sight numbers. He led the NHL with 30 goals saved. That was not a great defensive environment last year. And you saw it in that Minnesota series. Vegas doesn't get out of the first round, if not for Marc-Andre Fleury in the first four games. Now, this is where it gets a little risky. He leveled off. He was almost he was almost 10 goals saved in the first four games. Right. And then it leveled off from there. And this is where having the aging goaltender and needing to have someone to play with him, you know, becomes part of this equation for Vegas. As much as and also just so you know, the only guy who had a better adjusted um, save percentage number was Peter Morazic in a much smaller sample. Fleury was number one with a bullet at three point six percent amongst the goalies that sort of had starter workload. Um, the problem is you need someone to play with them. So I guess you're if you're Vegas, it's not just we move one guy, we save the cap, but we're gonna have to spend some money. And it goes the same with Robin Lehner. Yeah. Like, like Robin Lehner, I'm a massive Robin Lehner fan. Right. Robin Lehner's also a massive goalie. Yeah. There's a reason nobody sees him as a 50-60 game guy. Um, just because the amount of wear and tear being that big puts on your body. So I think, you know, but I guess, like you said, there's 20, well, there's 20 free agents out there. You can find that cheaper than what they're spending. And the question is, they can't dip on quality too much there because they can't afford to run either guy into the ground or it'll cost them either in terms of health or in terms of playoffs. Yeah. I'm not, I don't really view that as a big concern on Leonard just because I, I don't view any goalie as a 50, 60 goalie, a 60 game guy at this point. Like yeah. Give me 40 good games and I'll figure out the other 40, especially well, with the specific division with that team. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're probably not, like making the playoffs just, is not a concern. Just stay healthy. For yeah. The, for just keep playoffs. them healthy and, and keep them fresh for the playoffs, whichever one. So I don't know which way they're going to go. Um, and, and it's interesting, like. I don't know what the ask is right now, but they've certainly gone from being a team that was being asked to eat half the money on Flurry last year to a team that I feel should probably be able to get an asset and get out of that contract anyways. And, and a team that, you know, like there's a fit for Carolina, right? Like, right. But of course, well, if you they got a, can't afford them. If you got a third team involved, eat, eat some of that cap hit. For one year, I think that's an interesting fit. Yeah, listen, see, now we're getting creative beyond my capacity. All I know is how to bring the beer and keep the ice cold. I can't yeah. involve third teams in no. retaining money. Yeah, I, I, I think that's an interesting option, but I would be, man, if I, if you could pry Leonard away from Vegas right now, just based on the year what Flurry had and sort of their emotional attachment to him, a uh, sword wound aside, I, uh, uh, I'd be, I'd be trying to do that, but um Okay, let's. Do you want to do Seattle? Well, we've done all these. Look at all the names we've talked about. We haven't even really hit. Like we're still on guys that are trades. Like we haven't even hit the free agent market. That's like <laughs> twenty plus deep. Like that's why I mean this is. And I think some of these possible trades are. I, I I can't say they're gonna. They're not gonna. I was almost said they're gonna hold up free agency. But I think teams are sort of weighing like. They have other options in free agency. Yeah. If they don't get their option, then. Because as deep as that free agency class is, it's kind of thin at the top end. If they don't get their top option, do they then start calling Vegas with better offers or even Vancouver with better offers for Braden Holpe or, or non-retained offers uh, or Darcy Kemper in Arizona? Like for all the names on the free agent class, we've still got all these other guys that are available. Like I said, unprecedented amount of movement. Yeah. Well, so do you want to do, do Seattle or do you want to sure. do... Sure. Let's do Seattle first. 
All right. Um, so they, they obviously, they, they took Chris Rieger, they took Vanacek, and they took uh, Joey Decord. Um, I was personally very surprised that they didn't take Kapokakinen from, from the wild and, and took Carson Soucy instead. Uh, I know he had not great numbers last year, especially down the stretch. I think it's obscured by the fact that he had three horrific games where he gave up nine, seven, and six goals against in them. Uh, has put up good numbers in the AHL and the Finnish league for, for whatever that's worth. I just think ultimately it would have been an interesting asset to potentially flip to someone else. It's a different conversation. I know you want to talk about the technical component of the goalies. I just think in terms of business perspective, I was surprised that they didn't go that route. Yeah. Cause he seemed to have a lot of value. Now, yeah. would it surprise you to know that he had net negative numbers last season behind the Minnesota wild? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Minnesota wild goalies, we could have a, we yeah. have a full, 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 they always get beat up both that. publicly and privately. Um, Listen, I, like I see Kakinen and Vanacek in a very similar light. They actually both ended up with negative 1.1% sort of uh, adjusted save percentage, right? They're in the 50s uh, in the National Hockey League by the end of last season. As you said, Kakinen's numbers inflated by a couple, some, you know, three bad starts down the stretch. And I, I think in both cases, these are guys who had really good stretches and showed signs of what they could be, like Vanacek. Um, similarly was good early behind a very good defensive team, by the way, in Washington, a year after not being a very good defensive team, like yep. the coaching change made a, made a difference there. We'll see whether that's a dead cat bounce long-term or not, or whether that was just having the attention of your, of your players for your first year, um, as a sort of quote unquote, hard ass coach. Um, but it was just a big ask, right? Like right. he was asked to carry the load. He did it for a while and then eventually just sort of started to wear down. So both guys finished with negative numbers, but in both cases, they showed you potential for stretches that made you understand the, the pick in Vanacek's case and in Kakinen's case, make it hard to understand why they didn't, um, especially because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kakinen doesn't need waivers yet. Like he could have been that Joey Decord guy that could go back and forth. Cause this is, this is, was a challenge for Seattle is they had to have a third goalie or they need to, and obviously you could get it in free agency, but they needed a third goalie that could move up and down to a AHL franchise. They don't actually own this season, but you absolutely need three. And I would argue four because for all the talk about last year, this has the potential and this is where tandems and making sure you have more than one guy is important. This has the potential to be way harder physically on goaltenders than last year was. Yeah. The schedule is still condensed, especially if they do go to the Olympics. You're adding the all-star game in there. And guess what? No more taxi squad number three goalie to take the crappy parts of practice for you. Right. Like this is going to be a year where you do not get by on one you're going to need to lean more heavily on two, and I guarantee you more teams are going to end up needing three and even four than we've seen in years past. And I think, so for Seattle's case, you needed to find a guy in that three-hole that could move around without costing you the risk of losing him on waivers. Well, there's some teams with insane schedules, too. I think the Islanders one, I don't know the details off the top of my head, but like they start in a row on, on the, the road, road and yeah. like 18 back-to-backs or something, I, I, I think I saw. Like, it, it's yeah, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a grind, so... Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I was surprised by that. I think, you know, how do you feel about Drieger as, as sort of the investment they made in? It's pretty minimal in terms of like, the, it's only the three years, but obviously when a guy has like 30 career games, albeit remarkable output for them, but it's, it's always a risk, I think. And it, it wasn't really painted 
as such just because it has been such a good story and because you know the numbers have been legitimately good yeah i i love chris dreger the story i like chris dreger the goalie too um you know we had him on last summer and uh on the in goal radio podcast and and you got a sense for how um this path sort of bore out for him like he was in the east chl just a couple of years ago right but you understood the progression of why and there was a lot of potential there earlier i remember being on the ice with dreger in uh, up in that Kelowna camp i mentioned earlier like four or five years ago and the potential was there um but for a lot of different reasons some of them work ethic he'll tell you um thinking he was working hard but not necessarily doing all the right things uh, early in his career it didn't pan out so um it is a good story, and there's a reason he's had this success and had this curve. Uh, again, when we look at the adjusted numbers, you know they don't sort of match um, his raw numbers. Florida was a pretty decent defensive team this year. Still good, still nets out positive, um, and over the last two years, like nets out positive to the point where he's sort of in the you know high teens, low twenties compared to everyone else. So right. a lot of good things there. But until you've done it, you haven't done it. And being the number one guy can be a different thing. The good news is when you listen to him talk about all the lessons he learned early, you see a capacity for growth. So you know that he's going to take on the challenge of being a number one guy with the right mindset, that sort of growth mindset. What do I have to learn? What do I have to get better at here? So like I like, I, I like the bet. Um, cause I like Chris Dreger and his numbers are positive. The risk is, and I would think Ron Francis knows this risk better than anyone, the sample size and right. not being in the role before we saw it with Eddie Lack. We saw it with, um, Scott Darling, like where you make a, a term and dollar bet on a goalie that hasn't been in that role before. And like I said, until you've done it, you haven't done it. And that's the question that remains. It's a fair question. I think there's enough signs of, Chris Dreger, the person and the work ethic that he'll get there, but to expect it out of the gate without a safety net is might be a big ask for Seattle. And again, they built a good defense and that was always going to be the case with Ron. Like that was like, that had to be the focus for him coming. That was his MO in Carolina. It's his MO there. Um, question will be, is it good enough? I think the somewhat encouraging thing uh, in, in that small sample size is that, you know, speaking to the point you were making earlier about defensive environments and sort of different ways teams play in front of goalies and how that can affect stuff. Like the Panthers from two years ago to the Panthers last year experienced significantly different defensive results. It was like and a so different And so was team. good in both. Yes, he was. And That's so a good point. so at least that gives me a bit more confidence that he has like the versatility to not necessarily be entirely dependent because like two years ago, they were still quite bad in, 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 in Quinnell's first year. And, and he had good numbers, obviously in a really small sample size, but it... Really At least we've seen we've we've seen him, him play, both, play both play both ways to that's, just like playing behind one type of team. So that's a really good point. The other thing too is, um, I don't know if I mentioned this already, but we do these video sessions with these guys called Pro Reads, where they, they will sit down and do a video, and they'll walk us through not just the save, but why they chose certain save selections. Yeah, and you get a wide variety of sort of thought process there. Um, the ability to read the game and process the game is massive for goaltenders. I talk about technical. It's the first thing that I see, uh, which is why I'm very limited as an, as my, in terms of my ability to predict guys is because I focus so much on the technical. It's like one small slice. When Chris does pro reads with us yep. and Joey Decord is the same way, by the way, 
the level of detail that they pick out in the moment that leads to their decision-making, they think the game very, very well. And when you combine that with the growth mindset that he's developed in the past three years, and, you know, again, let's not forget, third-round pick, like, had there were some tools there to start with that were identified, even if they didn't pan out for the Ottawa Senators. And size and skating, like, there's a lot of positives. And so I like this bet for Seattle. It's just not having a plan B behind... Like it puts a lot of pressure on Dreger. And so it's on him to sort of be able to grow quickly into the role because there isn't that safety net behind him of experience. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it'll be a fascinating situation to watch. Um, all right, let's, let's close this up then. Let's bounce around some of the, uh, the free agents. Finally, after all of the other, other talks we've had, um, I'm going to list some names for you here. Rask, Halak, Anderson, Freddie Anderson, uh, Philip Grubauer, Petr Mrazek, Jonathan Bernier, um, even that lower tier, I think, of Ranta, Brassois, Olmark, and Reimer. Any, you can take any of those you want here. What, give, give me something on, uh, on any of those. See, but you can't take any of them unless you know the terms, right? Because they'll take away my goalie union card, but my honest, like I said before, like I'm avoiding term, right? So I think Philip Grubauer is going to be looking for term. Yeah. I like Philip Grubauer as a goaltender. Right. Didn't have him as a Vesna finalist. Right. I like him as a goaltender. Again, you have to recognize what the environment was last year in Colorado. It was a really good defensive environment. Yep. He's kind of right there with Alex Nedeljkovic, who just signed a two-year, just more, he's got more history and he's more proven yes. and more experienced. Yep. But am I going to go five or six years on that? Is that a big enough gap in a position that seems to change so rapidly? Again, it would depend. Do I have a good defensive team? If I have cap space and I'm not like the Carolina, like if I had, like I think he fits Carolina. I think he fits Toronto. But I don't think he fits either team in terms of what he's going to command on cap space. I think he fits a low shot environment. I think he was good for Colorado. Yeah. You know, so, um, and also in the playoffs, you know, like that, because the teams we're talking about are teams that are looking to get over the hump. And so the best fit for Philip Grubauer is probably Colorado, but they're also in that same position in terms of where they're at in the cap. So um, there are so many different names there. Uh, How about we, instead of just saying the one I would like the most, let me tell you the one that I think, again, at least from the statistics might be the most overlooked. And in part because it's a small sample, in part because the way he plays um, doesn't necessarily look the same. I've had some goalie coaches say they think he might be the closest thing to a blocking goalie left in the league. And I think, I don't think that's a fair description, but I sort of understand how they might see it that way. And that's uh, Laurent Brossois mm-hmm. with the Winnipeg Jets. His yep. adjusted save percentage was just a tick below Connor Hellebuck um, and top 10 in the league still, like just right in there at 10th spot, just above Mike Smith. Now, the other one too is Peter Morazic, who mm. tends to be all over the map, but somehow managed to be like plus 3.8% last year, yeah. like off the charts. You're always buying highs and lows and he tends to ride higher highs and lower lows because of the nature of the way he plays. Emo certainly um, does. But on a, which is probably why I, I have a hunch Carolina moves on because they, they're looking for steady. Like right. I could see Brassois as a fit, I see him as a fit. I think Philly probably values him. I think Carolina might consider him too because he, you know, but again, hasn't had the opportunity, hasn't done it before. So he comes with risk. Can he do it in a larger sample? But that's a name that, you know, certainly jumps out to me. Um, Beyond that, and Jonathan Bernier. Jonathan Bernier has been really good in Detroit for the last three years. The problem is, is Detroit 
Yeah. And some goalies can get a rep for being really good on really bad teams. Right. I'm not sure if that's fair for Bernier. I do think a team like the Flyers has interest in him. I think Carolina did make him an offer, just it was really low ball offer. Um, and I think he's going <laughs> to hit the mark. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Um, but like, you know, like there's a guy that I still think can be a number one guy. Um, he has had a lot of success, but what happens if you put him in an environment where you're not busy, you're not seeing a lot of shots yep. and the expectations are just totally different. I think he can handle that, but I know there's a lot of goalie coaches and general managers right now that are looking at that with enough uncertainty that I don't know how deeply they're willing commit to, to commit to him. He, he was awesome last year, even the past two years, I think. I think, He's been I think really maybe good he, was, he was, for Detroit's taste, too good uh, based on what they were trying to accomplish. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at his results compared to the other goalies they trotted out there. and, and I If you look at his game, he actually fits Carolina really well. Like, right. There's a steadiness to him that, that's evolved. It's just, a, you know, it's like I actually think he checks a lot of the boxes there. He's very there, solid. But I just, I just don't know that, he's, that, that they're willing to pay him what he thinks he can get on the open well, market. And if he hits the open market, I think he's going to be pretty highly sought after. I'm not I sure know he's going to get some sort of crazy free agent contract, but I think there's going to be teams that are lining up to try and get him. And that's the question, right? In a buyer's market, and this, this clearly is a buyer's market, yeah. all it takes is one to value that guy to the point where they absolutely need to have him. I know he's first on a couple lists. Yep. He's the first choice. And then the other one is Linus Allmark, mm-hmm. who um, has posted consistently positive results behind a bad team. Would have been somebody I would have targeted at the trade deadline. Um, but both Buffalo ultimately took him off the table because they recognize how much better they were when he's in the lineup versus when he's not. And yet, according to some of the reports I've heard, is looking for what we would traditionally consider number one money, which is in the neighborhood of $5 million a year. So, and, and much like Darcy Kemper, I think in the past couple of years, there have emerged some questions about the ability to stay healthy. And, and so you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of uncertainty with a lot of the names that we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, there are. I think like Freddie Anderson's another interesting one because I think a, for me, he was the gold standard in terms of consistency for a long time, which is funny because the way you'd hear him talked about would be anything but. But like if you looked at the end of the day, the results were pretty much every year just in lockstep absolutely past two years an alarming downturn and i wonder how much of that is the fact that from 2016 to 2020 he played a league high 244 games and, and injuries they, they clearly on him play a, a role lot. this year and so clearly like his his stock is, is pretty low considering how last year ended which might provide a buying opportunity for someone to try and, and maybe for him to view it as let me prove that i still have it and i can kind of rebuild my stock if i'm a goalie that's looking for that step yeah short term I'm choosing one. And then I think that's what Carol, I mean, you heard Don Waddell talk about it. We think we're a great environment for Like we think we're a place where goalies should want to come. Yep. If I'm willing to sacrifice term, especially because it's a flat cap in a buyer's market and who knows what I'm getting anyways. Yep. Um, I'm like, sign me up to play for the Carolina Hurricanes. Right. Yep. The question on Freddie becomes how much of it was the wear and tear and the injury. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. We, we know about the injury this year, and the wear and tear is a really good point on how many games he played. Uh, he's also a, he's a big goaltender, yep. right? He's a big body. Um, and then the other question that's being asked, and again, we alluded to this, how much, what else changed this year for Toronto? 
Mm-hmm. They started defending. Right. Like it's a different pressure point when you're just, you know, you're out there and you're busy and you're not thinking and the shots are coming from everywhere. And when all of a sudden, you know, you're not so busy and not every goalie handles it. And so I don't know if that's fair to Freddie because my hunch is it's more the injury. Yeah. I think he was also, I don't, I don't know how much of this was reported, but I think he was playing at less than a hundred percent oh for a large stretch of the pressure of the impending free agency because jack campbell was out and they didn't really have better options and he did them a solid and it kind of sucks that that tanked his value because i don't think he was necessarily See, looking out for the, himself as much as he was for the team that's the question that's being asked right now how much of it was the injury and how much of it which i think it's pretty common knowledge that he was playing through something because yeah. he came out and said it um how much of it is that and how much of it is, can he be a guy behind a team that doesn't like, can he be as good as he was when they suck defensively um, behind a team that plays better defensively? And again, I don't think it's a, I don't know that it's necessarily a fair question, but I can tell you right now, it's one that the teams that are looking are asking. Hmm. Any other, any other situations We're at the hour mark here? So like, I I think we've, we've hit quite a few of the teams and and goalies involved, but is there anyone else that piques your interest or, or red flags or, or, Either way. Um, God, there's so many. Like, I will say this, that beyond the names we just talked about, um, in terms of this unrestricted free agent class, and I could be careful here, right, because you could accidentally lump somebody into something that's not necessarily fair. But I think beyond that, for the most part, a lot of the names we're talking about, like... We've already talked about everyone who was net positive last year. Yeah. And that means that everybody else on the list isn't. So if you're making an investment, you know, and that includes Freddie, right? Like, yep. like it's funny though. This is the thing. So Freddie gets maligned for the season he had, right? Like maligned. Yep. Carey Price's regular season was worse statistically. Right. Like he was, his adjusted save percentage was a couple spots below Freddie Anderson. So it's something just sort of keep to keep in mind that other factors can play a role. Of course. Um, doesn't mean you're done. But amongst some of these other goalies that are on the market, um, you really need to make, I think this is where it's important. You can find value there. Um, James Reimer, Devin Dubnik, um, Yaroslav Halak was like minus 1.3% last year. Like he has consistently been a net positive, like a better than his right. environment goaltender. And a guy that I, up until this past year, I would have think would have been, you know, up near the, like he used to be sort of compete with Tuca. Yeah. Like he'd have similar adjusted numbers. And now he, the bottom fell out. So you have to do your homework and figure out whether it's certain things in the system or things that changed or whether it's just the circumstances or whether it's playing through injury or the starts he got. You really need to do your homework as opposed to just be like, yeah, this guy was a good goalie. Let's sign him. And I'm not pretending anybody's that rudimentary, but I'll be honest, I've gotten glimpses <laughs> into the thought processes from some over the years, yeah. and sometimes it comes down to that. Oh, this guy won before. He can do it again. And yeah. by God, if anything, I hope we've taught people in this hour that you know, if I can access 34, 35 different types of scoring chances and see how a goalie's fared in his career against them. And then also measure whether you give those up as a team more or less. Certainly we can do better than this guy used to be good. Let's sign him. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's sometimes there's certainly a lot to be desired in, in terms of the process. Um, all right, Kevin, plug some stuff. What, um, where can people check you out? What can they look forward to from you? What are you, what are you working on these days? Beyond, uh, beyond getting, getting harassed by 
coaches and people looking for goalie insight, like myself, bugging you to come on this podcast? Um, I would I would just your people actually, frankly, you don't want to follow me. It's all like Tofino vacation pictures for the summer now. So don't don't bother with the Kevin is in goal. Just go straight to uh, in goal magazine and in goal media on our various social channels, um, on Twitter and uh, Instagram and in goal mag i n g o a l m a g dot com because um, a lot of the insights. Uh, that I'm sharing here are not because I'm smart, but because much smarter than people than me are willing to sort of share their experiences and their insights with me. The Ingle Radio podcast comes out every week. We have NHL goalie coaches, NHL goalies, often some that aren't allowed to talk otherwise um, from the goalie coaching side. And if you're not a goalie, it's probably not of interest to you. If you are a goalie, we have videos, teaching tips, NHL goalies sharing tips and instruction, the pro reads I mentioned. Um, We have pro drills with NHL goalie coaches reviewing footage of drills they're doing at the NHL level and walking us through the keys. Um, Tips from Carey Price from the day we spend with him each summer for the past five years, working with kids, like little sim. It was so cool. That was the cool thing. One little plug here. Okay. So we have these pro tips from Kerry that we've gathered over the years. And his playoff run sort of sent me back into the archives because I hadn't done a good enough job of sort of flushing out all the videos, hours and hours of video. It's a long day that he does with Eli Wilson goalie schools and, and, and a bunch of kids. Yep. And one beer leaguer in the five years, we've had one beer leaguer come up. And it's fun to watch him teach the kids. Like there's, there's something cool about seeing this guy just, you know, trying to encourage a little eight-year-old who's struggling. But what was really cool about the playoff series is all these little tips, simple little things like where to, where I put my stick and why on the post in this situation, they were all still on display right up to the Stanley Cup final. Those are still the foundational anchors that he builds his game around. And so that to me is an example of what Ingoal Magazine is. It's an opportunity to have goalies at the highest level like him. He did a webinar with us last summer. We got pictures from all the parents. Like they're literally over the shoulder of their kid and they're like... My 12-year-old thinks he was, because there's, there's Carrie on the screen talking <laughs> to the group, and it's like my 12-year-old thinks he gets to talk, that Carrie Price is his buddy now. So yeah. those are the kind of things we try and do at Ingle. If you're a goalie, I think there's value there. Um, please check it out. Awesome, man. That's a, That sounds great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a busy part of the year, um, and we'll definitely have you back on sometime down the road. So it's, take care, man. It's my pleasure. All right, that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast. As always, it was a blast having Kevin Woodley on the show. As always, he delivered with the heat and the goods. I love having him on and just picking his brain about goaltending. He's got such a wealth of knowledge and always learn a bunch of new stuff. So hopefully you got something out of that conversation too. If you did enjoy it, please consider helping us out by leaving a quick little rating and review. Each one of them is greatly appreciated, helps us a lot, goes a long way towards helping the PDO cast, and it's really easy to do. It just takes a minute of your time. You can leave the five stars. If you are feeling extra generous, you can actually drop us a quick little description and review about what you like about the show or why you recommend people check it out. A lot of you have done so already, and each of them is greatly appreciated. So thank you to those of you who have done so. Uh, We'll be back here soon with more off-season analysis. We've got free agency here around the corner, and there's been a lot of stuff to talk about as we head into August. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, go back into the archives. We released a couple shows over the weekend. Uh, they're a bit shorter than usual, but we had some fun talking with Charlie O'Connor about the Flyers' busy off-season so far, and especially the Rasmussen Line trade they made. And we talked about Harmon Dial, about the Canucks big move and trading for Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland, and we got into all that. So both of those are really good. Highly recommend checking him out if you haven't done so already. Thank you for listening to the PDO cast and supporting, and we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.
Hockey Pediocast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pediocast.